learned around gratitude is you can basically spend time just thinking or writing down three things you're grateful for every day. And that's going to literally change your brain to have more positive thoughts. So I think for me, the reason that I'm so passionate about psychology and why I am a psychologist is that I don't know if we recognize that we're masters of our own mind and that we have the power to change how we think. And unfortunately, we have a we have bad weather brains, meaning we have a tendency because of our evolution to focus on negative thinking, but we have the power to change that. Dear Balancer, I know you're a determined person on the lookout for ways to live a more fulfilling and balanced life, but you're busy. And if we're being honest, that busyness often comes at the expense of your priorities. The Balance Theory podcast is made to teach busy bees just like you how to find and own your own definition of balance so that you can become unapologetic in how you choose to spend your time. I'm your host, Erica, and together, let's find your unique balance. All right, Balancers, today's guest is a CEO coach, leader in the positive organizational psychology and best-selling author. Having experienced burnout in the corporate world, she understands the incredible pressure we face in our lives and the difficulty in staying connected to both professional and personal goals in what we all know as demanding environments. Her focus is on helping leaders develop a keen awareness of how both their health and mindset impact leadership performance with a vision to bring a new form of full body coaching to people in the business world. I am very excited for this conversation today. I know I'm going to get so much out of it and as a byproduct, all the listeners too. So it's an honor, Dr. Jamie Shapiro, to have you on the show today. A big warm welcome. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here, Erica. I appreciate you having me. No, it's an absolute pleasure. Can you share a little bit about your experience with burnout? So I feel like for me, I've I've experienced it in the past, but to very different degrees. I feel like it's this scale, right? It's a big sliding scale. There's a really, really bad side to it. And then there's like little events along the way that are burnout that maybe we don't call burnout. So I'd love to see or hear, I guess, your experience heading towards it and then actually arriving there and just what that felt like for you in general, what caused that to actually be the case? It's a great question. And I agree with you. It is really a scale. And one of the things I noticed about myself when I was in the corporate world, it wasn't this huge moment. Like I think sometimes we think about burnout is this huge catastrophic moment where we can't do anything. And that's actually not what I see typically or what I saw in myself. I actually saw it more like cycles, waves of burnout, and then I'd be a little bit better, and then I'd kind of get myself up and ready again, and then I'd go through another- ebbs and flows. Really did. It ebbed and flowed. And in my research, I study the opposite side of the spectrum. So I really focus on vitality. But when we look at vitality to burnout, that big spectrum that's there, I think there's also this center place that- Um, is around languishing, right? Where we're just, we're not vital, we're not burned out. And so I think you're exactly right that we flow back and forth and we have to be really intentional in our lives to make sure that we stay on that highly vital side of the equation. So my own experience was that when I was in the corporate world, I really didn't understand the connection between well-being and leadership. And I didn't get that self-care is actually essential for my leadership and my capacity and my performance. I thought I've got to leave it all out on the field every single day. And if I have nothing left, that's okay because I'm giving everything and I'm doing everything and I'm getting it done. And that mentality was 
absolutely the wrong mentality. And it's actually totally disproven by science. That's not actually how we perform at our best. It's about creating the foundation of caring for yourself in order to give to others. And when I was in the corporate world, I didn't get that. I just kept giving and giving and giving till I had nothing left. And then when I was in that cycle of burnout, I'm like, okay, now I've got to focus on myself and I do it really quickly, get myself back to a place where I could give and give and give again. And then I'd be right back where I started. Mm. And what you've just described there falls so nicely within what I've kind of devised or what I like to speak about as the balance theory, which is essentially you've got your health, your relationships, and then your fulfillment or your work. And my approach or concept is your balance is unique to you at any given moment in time. The golden rule being you kind of split your time across the three, however fits with your goals and responsibilities, et cetera. But we fall out of balance or we fall into burnout when we completely neglect any area entirely. So for me, it's about working out, you know, what are the non-negotiables in each area? Because when we do And I know for myself, I've been here. I know everyone listening has probably been here as well. When you fall into that trap where you think, well, I'll just give and give and give to work because I'm a junior or I'm in my first couple of years or I've just started this job, you know, I'm just going to give them everything. And then I'll look after myself and worry about my relationships later. That never works. We never end out on top by doing that. But I think the tough thing is, is like, it's a little bit of a toxic culture, right? Especially in corporate or just generally other nine to fives. It's almost this very competitive. I mean, maybe not everyone's working in a space like this, but I think everyone can understand the feeling of being in an environment or working for people. That's almost the expectation. I mean, my background's in law firms. So go figure. I mean, that's probably the worst space of them all. Uh, You know, but this feeling of like, like obliged, like feeling like you have to do that. Like that's kind of the expectation. How do you kind of then take a step back and find a way to give yourself that care so that you can show up. Because ultimately, like, that's what it's about acknowledging. Like, if you are giving yourself that self-care and love, getting yourself back to vitality away from burnout, you can actually give more to your job, which feels like counterintuitive, but it's really the case. So how do, for people listening who maybe are in that toxic scenario where they feel like it's expected, everyone else is doing them, if they don't do it, they're kind of being slack you know, we're talking about things like working overtime every single night, uh, working on weekends, always having to say yes to requests. I mean, that's kind of the things that come to mind for me. How do we deal with that, you know, in light of be, just being in a culture that's kind of skewed that way? Well, I think there are a couple things. Number one, what you talked about is spot on, right? We have to recognize the balance, the balance. And, you know, sometimes when people talk about work-life balance, it is hard because exactly what you said, it's like, well, how do I do that? And the recipe is so different for each person. So you and I are very aligned in how we think about this in the sense of recognizing what are those, I call them pillars. So very similar to you, like, what are those things that we absolutely cannot negotiate in our lives every day that gets energy back in. If you think about all that energy going out into the world, whether it's at work, your community, your family, there's just so much energy that goes out all of the time. To me, the non-negotiables are what is energy back in for you look like? And that's different for every person. And the way I think about it is mind, body, heart, and spirit. But I think there's so many different ways, so many different ways to 
really think about how we get energy back in. And I love your model because that's another way to think about how do we make sure that all of those areas of our lives are really cared for each and every day. And I think a lot of times people get stuck in the trap of like, well, if I can't do an hour here or 45 minutes here, then I can't do anything. And really energy back in can look like that two minutes that you take a moment to go outside before the next meeting. It can look like caring for your morning routine in a way that nourishes you. It can look like making sure that you have energy for the people who really deeply matter in your life after work. So to me, it's about creating those pillars, those boundaries, those non-negotiables in our lives where we say, you know what, this actually makes me better. One Mm -hmm. of the reasons I focus so much on the science of this is that when you dive into the science, you realize actually the way that I can give the absolute most to my organization, to my team, to be my best as a leader is to have those things in my life. Um, I just completed a really interesting study where I interviewed 20 of the CEOs of Fortune um, 1000 companies, and I talked to them about leader vitality. And one of the surprises to me around vitality, around getting you know that access to the energy within, was that the number one theme that came back was having space in your day to think, right? Having that white space. And in the environment that we're in right now, especially with the hybrid work environment, people are jumping from meeting to meeting to meeting without any white space. And they're getting to their end of the day and they're saying, why am I so drained? Why do I have Mm -hmm. nothing left? Well, because we just bounced from one meeting to the next meeting to the next meeting without even, you know, taking one minute to move, right? We're just sitting. Take a breath, right? So to me, when I think about how do we create an environment that is truly in service of the organization, the team, it is about not only caring for ourselves, but role modeling that for other people and breaking this pattern that we're in of burnout. And we are in a pattern of burnout, sadly. Yeah, yeah, absolutely agree. And when we're talking about the things that give us energy, like you said, rightly, it differs from person to person. What I want to add to that is for yourself, it differs from time to time. So what gave you energy last year looks very different to what gives you energy today and might look very different to what gives you energy next year. And that's why I always love having a a toolkit as opposed to tools. So you don't put pressure on those one or two things to work. And and I mean, I'll ask you in, in just one moment, but I just want to share one thing that I like using to create that space to give me just a little bit of presence throughout my day. And I have this rule where meetings have to run for 25 or 55 minutes, not 30 and 60, because then you are back to back, like outside of your choice, right? I get it. Like sometimes you're back to back with meetings, but just by having that simple rule, like a block in your calendar, or just, you know, if you're in control of setting meetings, you actually have five minutes to go to the bathroom, have a drink of water, take some breaths, you know, like look into the distance, just do something that creates a bit of a gap in your day. And that's a little bit of a hack I like to use. What about on your side? What was something you kind of came to that or you're currently using to give yourself that care or just space throughout the day? Because I guess the reality check for a lot of people is they can't just put in an hour of time, right? Like there's deadlines, yes. there's requirements, there's emails. So what's something you do that's actionable for people listening? Love, love what you just shared. And that is actually something that I recommend. And I recommend changing entire systems within organizations to move to a 25 or 55 or 50 minute meeting because 
that space not only gives you the time, it gives the whole organization the time. And what we see when there's space and there's more vitality is we have more creativity, we have higher performance, um, we're able to think more visionary and in, in actually transition from you know meeting to meeting. So I absolutely love that one. There, I really encourage people to move, right? So any way that we can get more movement into our lives, that is just going to help everything from our physical physical body to our brain function. So standing desks are great and having the ability to stand sometimes, sit sometimes, but even one minute, you know, walk around. And then when you have one-on-one meetings, if it is in a hybrid work environment, if you're online, then can you move to the phone, right? We can move to the phone. We can put our our earbuds in and we can walk together outside and have the meeting. Or if you're in an office environment, have a walking one-on-one meeting. It's really powerful when we get outside, it changes our perspective and therefore it changes our mindset and often the conversation. So that's another way that when we think about getting more movement into our day, we can just make that change. And People appreciate that. Just saying, hey, can we be off camera and can we go for a walk together? I know we're not in the same physical space, but is there somewhere you can walk outside? I'll walk outside and we'll have the meeting that way. Yeah. And you really underestimate the power of like walking and thinking. Like I know a lot of people listening to this podcast right now will actually be on a walk and that habit stack of moving and doing something with your brain is one of my favorites. And Shout out to my standing desk that I'm using right now because I'm just obsessed with this thing. And it's electronic, goes up and down. Like I really struggle having to go into the office without it, but I'm very fortunate. I've got a bit of a hybrid setup, but it's, I actually can't live without it. If you haven't gotten onto the standing desk thing yet, just it will change your life. It's really, really amazing. I want to ask you in your opinion, I guess in the work you're doing, you're very much in this space of leadership and well-being. What do you see as the current biggest gaps between the two? Is it a systematic gaps or just generally as a byproduct of how we are as humans? And happy for you to kind of talk about the science side if if it's relevant as well. It's both, honestly. Um, It's the mindset we have, not recognizing that well-being truly is the foundation for leadership performance. And it's also systematic. If you look in most organizations, right, we've got well-being programs over here and we've got leadership development programs in a different area and they're not integrated. And what I saw when I was in the business world is that well-being programs were for everyone, but leaders didn't take advantage of them. And leadership programs were designed for leaders and not everybody had access to those. So I'm a big proponent that we should focus on leadership at every level and we should have well-being as the foundation to those programs. So for our organization, the way that we talk about leadership is it is a full body experience. And when I had wonderful executive coaches in the past in my corporate world and experience, It was very much focused on what I call kind of in between the ears coaching. It didn't focus on my whole physical body. So I was struggling. I was struggling physically with, I was on the road all the time. I was struggling with my nutrition. I had high levels of stress, but my executive coaches at the time focused on, okay, how's your communication? What's your strategy? Tell me about your team performance. All of that is super important, but 
it doesn't incorporate the whole self in the conversation. And so when I started our company, Connected EC, I was very much on a mission to integrate well-being as the foundation for leadership performance and really focused on how do we focus on the entire human being, not just what's between our ears. And so what I have found over and over again is that when we focus on all of the elements of well-being, and in my research, we use a model called uh, the PERMA plus four, which is really just nine different dimensions of well-being. And we see that those nine dimensions contribute to our vitality, the access to energy, our physical, our psychological, and our emotional energy. And that energy can then be used for leadership performance. And we see highly vital leaders are more curious. They're more inclusive. They give positive relational energy. So they transfer positive relational energy to others, which is three times more impactful than information and influence alone. And so these leaders are creating the right trust, connection, and team culture and ultimately organizational culture. So it's really thinking differently as human beings that, as we said at the beginning, right, self-care is not selfish. It's actually what we need for our leadership performance. But then it's also the entire system changing and recognizing that we need to integrate these two things. They can't be separated in our organization. And we have to stop talking about them separately. Yeah. This conversation's music to my ears. I feel like it's kind of been at the soul of my, I guess, dilemmas at times with work in different organizations that have or haven't prioritized this. Back to, I guess, the nine things that go into a leader who's got vitality. Uh, I appreciate they're probably all as important as the other, but if you had to just pull out three to share with us today, or three of your favorite, almost important, that you think really yes. contribute to our vitality and in turn then our level of performance, what would those three be? So the first one I'm going to talk about, which has been shown over and over again, is relationships. And Robert Waldinger just finished a incredible, like, one of the only longitudinal studies in happiness and it's ongoing. I shouldn't say finish It's an ongoing study out of Harvard. And the top thing that came back from an overall flourishing life, a happy life is really focused in relationships. So to me, that's number one, as far as how we can really think about those high quality relationships in our lives and making sure that those relationships that give us energy we're making space for. So that's probably number one. Hiring for your small business. If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Um, number two, something we've been talking about this whole time, physical health, right? Really making sure that we are caring for our physical health, everything from movement, as we've talked about, what we're putting into our bodies, our sleep, our hydration. So physical health would be number two for me. And then I think number three, and I, I feel like I could pick any of the nine here. I'm 
go with mindset, having a growth mindset and an orientation towards really learning and growing and recognizing that our mindset matters and that we are truly masters of our own minds and that we get to choose the thoughts we give more energy to and the thoughts that we don't. And so I think knowing that we are masters of our mind and recognizing that opportunity and ability to grow is really, to me, I think one of the most important things as well. Yeah. Awesome. All, all things that uh, are massive priorities in my, in my life as well. There's so many things I want to ask you in just because this conversation for me is like, you know, when you're talking about wellbeing and vitality and it's, it's, benefit to the working person I just as obvious as that sounds I just don't think a lot of companies get it I think they still see it as almost like a cost a time cost you know a resource cost I just think that they don't get it and for me you know working in a in a law firm where your hours are billed based off the amount of time you're physically writing down it's very hard to assess one's performance and actual quality of of input based of just time spent. And so for me, it was like always this really delicate balance between doing the hours, but then almost having to prove that those hours were efficient. And I always had this undercurrent of like, as long as I sleep, exercise, eat properly, like I know my output is good. And I yes. think sometimes though, even, even if you have all of that in check, right. And you understand these things and you do find a way to prioritize it, like naturally we fall to the side. We we fall off the beaten track at times and we do kind of tip the buckets in one of the areas of our life more than the others. We fall out of balance. It, it, it happens. And because there's so many different areas we can kind of tackle, what's your approach or advice to people who are in that burnout space, heading towards burnout to venture back because it can feel a bit overwhelming sometimes like you know sometimes you just completely forget about your exercise or you just push it aside or you neglect relationships so like just to tackle that on like yes. head on just just starting out what's kind of your general strategy or approach so i like to think about um if we had a straight line in front of us right and that straight line encompassed all the things we know that help us be our best self. And again, that's different for everyone. And we recognize that life goes up and down and up and down and up and down. And sometimes we're going to be below that line and sometimes we're going to be above that line. The trap that we fall into too often is that when we get into that cycle of approaching burnout below the line, we end up going deeper and deeper and deeper below because we get into a cycle of self-abuse, right? We say, oh, I need to do something, but I'm not doing anything. And then that negative self-talk, what we call in coaching the saboteur, the self-critic, takes over. And unfortunately, that sends us deeper and deeper and deeper into that negative spiral. And so what I share with people all the time is when we look at the science of behavioral change, it really is one small step leads to the next small step leads to the next small step. Transformation isn't, let me, yeah, it is absolutely. So what I encourage people to do in those moments is number one, be your own best friend, be kind and compassionate and loving to yourself in those moments. Try as hard as you can to recognize the saboteur. You don't want to like shame the saboteur, right? That falls into the same trap, but we do want to say, I hear you, right? Like I hear that side and that's not serving me right now. What I need to do is see what's in front of me, that one small step that I can take 
that's going to help me move a little bit towards that line of my best self. And that small step is really all you have to do. And maybe that's drinking a glass of water in the morning. Maybe that's just taking a deep breath after a meeting. It's those little micro moments that lead to the macro change. And the more we can do that, the better we can be in recognizing those cycles of when I'm below the line and how do I get back? Because I study this for a living. Of course, I fall below the line, right? Like we are human beings. There's no perfection in humanity. So life is going to go up and down. We're going to have heavy weeks at work. We're going to have moments of heavy travel. We're going to have things that take us away from what we know are pillars. And so it's about that self-compassion and asking the question, what's that small step that's in front of me that I can take? Yeah, I think that's a beautiful reminder because I mean, I'm so guilty of this when I fall in moments, like you said, you just have crazy work weeks. Like think of even seasonal things like the run up to Christmas or, you know, just little things that always just make everything hectic all at once. Those are seasonal and, and they happen. But when those moments come, I almost feel like I'm always just straight away looking for an exit. And and that sometimes is so overwhelming and not helpful, right? Because like you've rightly identified, the first piece of just accepting that you are where you are and accepting that, okay, my sabotage, I like that, how you framed it in that way, myself, you know, your self-sabotage side is there yeah. and it's talking and it's not useful. So that first piece of acceptance and the second piece of asking, what's a small thing I can do? Because that is actually within your arm's reach because at times when you're just frazzled and scattered, you can't think of, you know, being back onto your best self, your healthy self that, you know, maybe it was six months ago, that's going to take time to build up. So it's just, I think that's a part of self-compassion too. It's about just reducing it down to the moment and being like, what can I do now? And this comes for even like really emotional bouts. It doesn't have to be like crazy seasonal things where you're burning out. Like it's just not always looking for the exit sign and just trying to like work out what's the closest next thing that I can do because action is what always kind of takes you out of loops or fear or just difficult emotions. So I, I really appreciate that advice. And it was a reminder. I definitely needed to hear myself. Um, before I let you go, I want to ask what is the most interesting either research or bit of science that you've learned in this space of burnout, whether or not it relates to leadership or not, just in general about burnout, something that you found super interesting. Gosh, there's so much interesting science. And one we'll of take the a few if I you can't pick, pick one. <laughs> I can't pick one. I think one of the things I would say is that there's so much good work in the academic and research space around this topic that sometimes doesn't make its way into the hands of everyone. And so I think one of the reasons I'm so passionate about positive organizational psychology and the science of that is that it really is the science of human thriving. And we've got some awesome stuff out there that I just encourage people to go out and look because there's great stuff. I'll share with you one that I just think is so cool, which is the science of gratitude. What, what we've learned around gratitude is you can basically spend time just thinking or writing down three things you're grateful for every day. And that's going to literally change your brain to have more positive thoughts. So I think for me, the reason that I'm so passionate about psychology and why I am a psychologist is that I don't know if we recognize that we're masters of our own mind and that we have the power to change how we think. 
And unfortunately, we have a we have bad weather brains, meaning we have a tendency because of our evolution to focus on negative thinking. But we have the power to change that. And so the science of positive psychology to me is about recognizing you get to be a master of your brain. You get to change the thoughts that you have on a regular basis by giving more energy to the thoughts you want to have. So gratitude is a great example of that. Obviously, I'm really passionate about the science of vitality and the science of energy and understanding the importance of what it means to transfer energy, but also the importance of having the energy and the abundance of energy to transfer to another human being. We There's some incredible work from uh, Kim Cameron, Dr. Kim Cameron, who has just done beautiful work in the space of positive relational energy and leadership and transferring that and what that means in leadership performance. And so I think that is incredible work to look at and to really see how that can change how you're leading, but recognizing that if you do that, you also need to focus on you and getting energy in so that you have that abundance of energy to transfer to others. Awesome. And and so if we want to look at this stuff a little bit deeper and, and read ourselves, like the information, the new stuff that's coming out, where do we actually go? Like which journals are these being published? Are they online? Like where's the best access point so people can actually do a bit of a deep dive themselves? Yeah, so there are a couple different ways to approach this. If you want to get to like the academic research, I always encourage people to use Google Scholar. It's a great way to kind of see what's out there and see what you're interested in. And so that will give you access to a lot of the journals that are out there and a lot of that research. But there are a lot of uh, outlets, Psychology Today is an example, where they're translating some of that research um, and sharing little less in depth of the actual like details of the study and more of an overview. And so I just encourage people to go out and search the topics that they're interested in and see what's out there um, and look at both. You know, you can go through Google, you can go through Google Scholar, two different ways of looking at it and just seeing, you know, some of the research out there. So and there's also some amazing books to grab in this space as well. What would be your top two recommendations? I always love getting, um, you know, recommendations from people actually in the space. Yes. Um, So one of my absolute favorite books from a just overall looking at the business world differently and looking at it through the lens of positive organizational psychology is Big Potential by Sean Aker. That's probably one of my top books. And then I will recommend Kim Cameron's book, Positively Energizing Leadership is I think really cool. It talks a lot about the science of what we've been talking about, that transference of energy. So those are probably my top two from an organization perspective. And those are two that I I think should be on everyone's bookshelf. Amazing. And of course, you've also written a book, which I'll pop a link to in the show notes below. And for people who want to connect with you and follow along your journey and get just linked up with you, where's the best place they can go? Socials, website, and I'll pop some links in the show notes below. I am on LinkedIn probably the most. That's where I publish all my research. And also on our blog, on our website, which is connectedec.com. So those are probably the two places I'm on the most. And uh, yeah, and there's a way to connect directly with me on our website as well. Amazing. Well, I'll put links to all of that. I want to thank you so much for your time this morning. Uh, I've really learned a lot and I think we almost need to get you back on because I don't think 30 minutes was enough to pull apart, you know, all the incredible things that are in your brain. So thank you so much for your time this morning. Thank you, Eric. I appreciate it.